Stories from a Hard Place is an anthology podcast. Every Thursday, R.A. Jacobson presents another story from a hard place, read by the author. Stories of loneliness and betrayal, of false hope and shattered dreams, of gifts and regrets, of love and accidental kindness. Each story follows a separate path that leads to the realization that sometimes the only solution is a lead pill. Listener discretion is advised. Contains strong language, violence, and some adult situations. Episode 32, The Touch. This is part two of a three-part telling. He woke with sunlight pouring in the window. His neck hurt. It was stiff from sleeping with his head tipped back. He had slept without moving, without dreaming. He had slept for hours, but still he felt tired. He felt fuzzy, like his head was wrapped in a fog that he couldn't shake. He picked up his phone. He was glad he had plugged it in before he fell asleep. He turned it on. There were 28 missed calls, all of them from work. Of course. He had missed a lot of work with no explanation. Shit. He couldn't go to work. He felt like shit. He should call. But if he didn't call, he had worked there for 20 years, which would buy him some latitude. It was 9.40. He should already have been at work for a couple hours. He dialed the office number. Jerry, the manager, answered on the second ring. Yes? Hey, Jer. Adam couldn't keep the apology out of his voice. Adam, how are you feeling? Christ, I was worried. I... What do you mean? Well, fuck, Adam, you disappear for days. No reason, no call. I was going to call the cops. Then you did call. I called? Yeah, if you can call that a call. It was truly bizarre. You must have been running a fever. All you said was, I can't make it. I just can't make it. It was weird. And the connection was all screwed up, all crackly, and your voice was like it was a thousand miles away. Adam frowned, trying to figure out what had happened. Did he call when he was sleeping? Adam? Jerry's voice sounded worried. Yeah, still sick. I'm better, but still not 100%. Yeah, you don't sound good. Take the time you need. Jerry was already moving on and wasn't listening. Thanks, Jerry. I'll call. He hung up. He thought about Jerry. He was his boss. He was more than 20 years younger than him but he looked ten years older than Adam. He was overweight and always drinking Coke. Adam walked to the washroom. Well, he used to look younger than Jerry. His skin was ashy. There were dark circles under his eyes. He licked his lips. They were dry and cracked. He stripped off his clothes and showered. After he dried, he walked to the bedroom and pulled on jeans and a t-shirt. In the living room, he looked around. His clothes were in a pile in the doorway to the bathroom. He should pick them up, he thought. Then he pulled on his Converse and left. In half an hour, he was driving along Cartwright, looking for 792. There were some fine houses. He was sure he couldn't afford a house here, no matter how good old Tom was. When he found the address, it was carved into a rock. He turned into the curving lane. He definitely couldn't afford this. He drove up the lane, past the stone, past the stand of trees, and there was one of the most beautiful houses he'd ever seen. It was a modern bungalow, a cubist sculpture of cement, iron, and glass. 
He stopped in front and pulled out the key Mr. September had given him and looked at the tag. 792 Cartwright. There must be another Cartwright. He looked at the tag again and got out of the car. He walked to the door and half expecting the key not to fit, slid the key in. It turned easily. He frowned and pushed the door open. Inside, it was more beautiful than outside. The glass and cement and dark wood continued. He stood on the dark red Persian carpet. The ceiling in the foyer was high. To his right was a spare living room with leather couches. To his left was a dining table, glass and chrome. Beyond that was a large kitchen full of chrome and black marble. He couldn't believe how gorgeous this house was. No one lived here. There was nothing to suggest that anyone had. In the kitchen, he looked out in the backyard. The yard was equally beautiful, perfectly manicured. But what caught his eyes and held them was the massive glass greenhouse that stretched from beside the kitchen back to the end of the property. A door opened from the kitchen to a glass walkway to the greenhouse. He could smell the earth and the green growing things, and his heart rejoiced. His pace quickened, and he burst into the great greenhouse. The greenhouse had large, flat planting beds running the entire length of the house. It was filled with rich black soil, and in the ground were small green leaves standing proud and full of life. He looked at the life that was here. This is where he wanted to be. This is where he belonged. He still had trouble believing old Tom could find such a place that was in his price range. But here he was. He wasn't leaving. Slowly he walked along the beds, looking at his charges on both sides of him. He was almost halfway down when a loud crack to his right made him turn. A black shape had slammed into an upper glass panel, cracking it. At first, he didn't know what it was, but as it slid and fell to the ground, he saw it was a dead crow. He walked closer and stared at it through the glass. He looked up at the cracked pane. That would have to be repaired. Good morning, Adam. The voice came from his left, deeper in the greenhouse. He spun. A man stood, regarding him. He was a tall, slim man, with his hair stacked up and flat-topped. He smiled. He had a forked goatee and perfect teeth. He was dressed in a clean black suit over a turtleneck sweater. I thought I would visit your home since you visited mine. I'm sorry, who are you? Adam stood still as the man started walking toward him, his hands outstretched, brushing the tops of the small, delicate leaves. They withered and browned as he touched them. Stop that! Adam didn't know how he was killing his plants, but they were his and his responsibility. Stop that! Adam took a step forward. The man stopped and brought his hands together in front of himself. Yes, I suppose that would upset you. It's my nature. I am a collector, you see. A collector? Who are you? And what are you doing in my home? Your home. Really? Well, this is truly a fine home. He looked at the greenhouse and smiled. Yes, a fine home. Look, mister, who are you? You may call me Mr. White, he smiled. Mr. White? What kind of name is that? That sounds like a fake name. Adam was nervous. He wasn't sure why. 
It made him angry, and his words came out sharply. This was an intruder in his home. In his home? He had been here less than an hour, and he was calling it his home. Hmm. It might be to your ears. He smiled as if remembering. Really, it's not terribly important what you call me. It is important that you realize who I am. I don't care who you are. You are trespassing, and I want you gone. Adam stood as tall as he could, puffing his chest up. Even still, he was nearly a head shorter. Mr. White smiled. Oh, but you should care. After you have walked the black sands of my realm and stood on the bank of my river, granted you arrived there in a very unconventional way. Adam's chest sunk and he opened his mouth. How could this man know of his dream? No, it wasn't a dream, he said, as if he could read Adam's thoughts. Although how you got there is a bit of a mystery. By the way, you really pissed off my boatman. Your boatman? Yes, Jean. He takes his duties very seriously. No matter. Mr. White smiled. He looked at the plants around him, at the brown, dead, crumpled leaves that he had touched, and the green he had not. He looked at Adam. Come here for a sec, would you? Adam took a small step backward. Why? Ah, oh, indulge me, Adam. I'm curious. You are marked, correct? You sold your soul? What was it that you asked for? I just wanted to grow things, Adam said quietly. Grow things. An odd request. Come, touch this plant. He pointed at the shriveled brown plant. Adam looked at it, then back to Mr. White. I don't understand. Just touch this plant for me. I'm curious. Come. Adam stood and looked at Mr. White. Then he stepped forward and extended his hand. He paused. He looked at Mr. White. What's going to happen? Something wonderful. Mr. White whispered dramatically. He looked at Adam for a second, then broke into a broad smile and chuckled. I'm sorry. I love that line. Do you know it? It's from one of my favorite movies. He paused. Okay, not a movie fan. Adam's finger hovered inches from the dead plant. Touch it, Mr. White said. Adam reached forward and touched the plant, then pulled his hand back quickly. Nothing happened. He watched the little brown leaf. He looked at Mr. White, a question in his eyes. He looked at the small brown leaf. Nothing happened. Then, as he watched, the leaf shuddered and crumbled to dust. Adam's eyes widened. Almost immediately, a tiny green shoot sprouted where the brown plant had been. It curved and spiraled, getting greener and growing a small leaf. It looked like a time-lapse video. It continued to grow. A second leaf popped out, unwrapping itself and bending outward. It grew a third, then a fourth. It was now three times as tall as it had been. Adam leaned forward. He could hear the small, wet sounds as the plant grew, and he could smell the life there. Leaning even closer, his nostrils flared as he took a deep breath. The smell of life filled him. He swam in the experience of growth of life, but there was another scent mixed in. Another part of the scent he thought of as life. It was the opposite. It was death. Adam opened his eyes and looked at Mr. White's smiling face. You see? We're like brothers, you and I. Well... Distant cousins.
Adam looked back at the plant. Uh, cousins? I'm not sure what you mean, cousins. No, I suppose not. Mr. White stepped to the glass wall and looked at the black feathered mass in the grass. I needed that poor creature's sacrifice to come here. Its death is my duty. I have many names. Adam looked at the dead crow. It was a crumpled mess, black against the green grass. He looked up at the glass pane the crow had flown into. There was a star crack in the middle of the glass. What are you saying? Adam asked, but he was alone. He looked up and down. He walked deeper into the greenhouse, just in case. Mr. White was definitely not there. Adam started to wonder if Mr. White had been there. It felt like he had dreamt it. The more he thought about it, the more he was sure he had imagined it. Yes, it must have been a dream. He frowned. It was a dream, wasn't it? A dream? He looked at the dead, dry plants. The plants that had been alive, bright, green, and full, until Mr. White had touched them and took that brightness, took that life away. Mr. White was death. Adam stared at the dry leaves, then walked a few steps and looked back at the plant he touched. He stared at the delicate green leaves that he had brought back. He touched the tip of one of the little leaves. It moved. It stretched and shivered as if in a light breeze brushed past it. It curled up, then a new leaf pushed up. He pulled his hand back and watched the now not-so-little plant. Returning to the dead plants, he touched the dry leaf. It was a small, thin sponge. It seemed to suck life from his fingers. It puffed up and turned green. The green spread down the leaf, then the stalk. It straightened. The green spread out along till it was a fresh, bright plant. He touched another and watched it grow, renewed. Then another, then another, till all were back to green and alive. He looked at what he'd done. It felt good. He felt good. No, he felt great. He smiled. These were his plants. They filled him with joy. He closed his eyes and tipped his head back. Pulled in there, filling his lungs. The smell of earth and the green of life swirled within him. He felt it slip in, quiet and gentle. It slid in his chest and spread out his arms and down his legs. He felt it fill him. His fingers tingled, his toes tingled. He stood for a long time, just letting himself feel, letting himself live. When he looked down finally, it was late afternoon. The sun was touching the treetops to the west. He didn't know how long he had stood there. A couple of hours, maybe. Not more, surely. He walked down the aisle, touching each of the plants as he went, feeling a small charge from each. When he got back to the end of the row, he turned and looked around. All the plants, all his plants, were waving as if in a gentle breeze. He turned to leave and noticed the dead crow outside in the grass. One wing tucked in tight, the other spread out wide. Its head was turned awkwardly and it lay on the outstretched wing. Its eyes were open. The black bead of one eye reflected the darkening sky. He could feel something around it. He knelt and reached out a hand. He paused, not sure if he should. Then he touched the bird. 
Immediately he felt energy leaving him, as if a faucet had been opened. It rushed out of him in a great gush. He stood dizzily. He felt nauseous. His eyes rolled white. He bent forward, vomiting into the grass. Taking a breath, he sat back on his heels and looked about, confused. A wash of black passed over his eyes, and he tipped sideways. He didn't feel it when he hit the ground. It was dark when he woke. He pushed himself to a sitting position. He felt frail. He put his hand out to steady himself. The grass beneath his fingers was shriveled, the circle around where he had lain, dead. He remembered the crow. It was gone. A dark patch of brown grass marked where it had been. The grass was brittle, almost as though it had been burnt. After a minute he struggled to his feet. He was tired, so tired. He walked to the house, his house, he reminded himself. It didn't feel right. It felt like a fantasy or a dream that he would wake from. He pushed open the large glass door to the kitchen. As it opened, he felt a shift in the air. When the door closed behind him, the house seemed quiet. It hushed and stilled. He needed a glass of water. Walked to the sink and picked up a glass that stood waiting for him, filled it from the tap and drank. As he finished, he realized what he'd done. This was a new home. Why would there be a glass here just waiting for him? He looked at the glass. It was just like the glasses he had in his old apartment. He looked at it confused. He opened the cupboard. It was full of dishes and cups. His dishes and cups. Over the island, he looked into the front room. His couch and chairs looked shabby and tired in the clean space. He stared at the couch, swayed and gripped the counter. He was too tired to think about it. He stumbled slightly as he walked to the couch and fell into it. He was asleep in a second. He didn't recognize what he was looking at. He was laying face down on the couch, his head turned to look out into the room. The angle was odd, but it didn't look like his apartment. The light was wrong. With his face pushed in his couch, he frowned. He closed his eyes, not yet awake. He could smell his couch. He had slept on it many times. It had a distinctive scent, a blend of foam, fabric, something sweet, and feet. He lay, thinking he might go back to sleep. Then he lifted his head and opened his eyes again. This wasn't his apartment. He wasn't sure what he was looking at. It was fuzzy. It was a red blotch against a neutral colored wall. He blinked and sat up, wiping the drool from his cheek and rubbed his eyes. When he opened them, they cleared and he realized he was looking at a large, dark red ceramic sculpture of a devil's head, complete with a huge white-toothed grin, pointed eyebrows, and of course horns. He looked at it for a minute, smiled, so old Tom had a sense of humor. Adam leaned back on the couch in his living room and looked around. Everything that wasn't his was carefully chosen, mostly in light oatmeal color tastefully accented with black trim and small hints of black. The only exception was the red devil head that stood prominently against the curtains now closed over the massive windows that looked out into the garden in his greenhouse. Coffee, he said to the empty, unfamiliar room. He stood and walked to the kitchen. He groaned with pleasure at seeing his coffee machine sitting in the corner. In a couple of minutes, he had a hot cup in his hand. 
He leaned against the island and looked at the house and took a sip. Once again, he reminded himself this was his house. Above him, somewhere in the house, he heard an electric humming. He straightened, frowning. Then the same humming started right behind him. He spun and saw a robot vacuum cleaner slide from underneath the kitchen cabinets. He watched it for a minute, then he heard another start somewhere else in the house. He smiled. Cool, I've always wanted one of those. He had a friend that had one and was always bragging about it. He called it Rosie, after the robot made in the Jetsons. Adam had always thought that was a pretentious idea. You don't name your toaster. Why would you name your vacuum cleaner? No, there were at least three, maybe more, robot vacuum cleaners in his house, and he wasn't about to name them. He took his coffee and sat at the glass-topped table in his breakfast nook and admired his backyard. It was perfect. Everything was carefully thought out. The plants were curated for maximum effect, either for color or for shape or for volume. It pleased him. Then Rosie One stopped and started beeping. He finished his last sip of coffee and went over to it. Adam reached down and felt around for the release button and pulled the hopper out. He opened it and looked. It was full. In fact, it was stuffed with dead bits of flies. It was a horrible sight. Black and glossy body parts mixed with legs and shiny thin wings. He emptied the hopper in the garbage, slid it back in, and pushed the button. Rosie One started to move again. Above him, he heard Rosie 2 or maybe Rosie 3 beeping. He walked around the counter and headed upstairs. He found Rosie 2 in the middle of the hallway. It was stopped, blinking red. He knelt and opened the hopper. She, too, was full of dead flies. Adam frowned. That's a lot of flies. He looked at the hopper. It was disgusting. Behind him, he heard Rosie 3 start to beep. With the full hopper in hand, he walked down the hall. Rosie 3 had stopped beeping. He opened a door where he thought he'd find the robot. It was a bathroom, a really nice bathroom, actually. It was the type of bathroom he'd seen in magazines and online. With a smile, he thought, I could get used to this. He remembered the hopper in his hand, and he turned and left the bathroom, crossed the hallway, and opened the next door. It opened on a large, beautiful room. It was set up as a den. His old oak desk sat in front of an oversized black leather chair. One wall was covered with a very simple bookcase. In front of the bookcase was a spectacular Ames recliner. He loved the look of them, but never thought he would have one in his life. Yes, this is a bit of all right, he said to the room. Rosie Three was full of flies as well. Why so many flies? It made little sense. There were no flies at the windows or anywhere. The house was immaculate. He looked around puzzled. With two full hoppers in his hand, he left the room and walked down the hallway. At the top of the stairs, he surveyed the living room. His furniture looked small and tired in the grand space. Wait, when he first arrived, hadn't there been a large flat leather couch here? not his tired old couch. The realization crept over him. Like his old couch and all his things, he didn't belong here. Really, who was he kidding? He hadn't won the lottery or anything. He had just sold his downtown condo, and now here he was. He couldn't afford this, none of this. It was too much, 
too perfect, too other. He looked at the fly-filled vacuum cleaner hoppers in his hands. Nothing made sense. How had his stuff got here? There was no way anyone could have moved his things in. He hadn't even packed. Had he sold his condo? He had signed no papers except for the representational agreement. This wasn't the way things worked. Excuse me, Mr. Gardner. The voice came from below. A man stood in the kitchen, blended with the living room. He was dressed entirely in black, with a large-brimmed hat. The man stood very straight, still, and was smiling. He held a black book in front of him with both hands. Mr. September? Adam asked as he walked down the stairs. No, my name is Mr. March. Mr. March? Why are you named after months? Adam asked. Months? I'm not sure what you mean. My name is Mr. March. Adam had reached the main floor. The strangeness of Mr. September in his condo, and now this man, made Adam wary. He looked at Mr. March. His clothing was black, but it shimmered ever so slightly. He tried to look at the man's eyes, but could not see them for the brim of his hat. Adam walked past him, and Mr. March followed, not turning his head, but turning his body. A tingle ran up Adam's spine. The man rotated without stepping or moving his feet. He moved like he was on a turntable. An edge of panic touching him, Adam continued to the garbage to empty the hoppers. When he turned back, Mr. March had his book open and was looking at something. He closed the book and said, Old Tom would like to have a word. He raised his left arm, indicating the greenhouse. Adam placed the empty hoppers on the countertop and looked out through the kitchen window at the backyard and the greenhouse. He turned back to Mr. March. He's waiting? he asked, not sure why he was nervous. After a minute, Mr. March said, yes. Adam noticed Mr. March's legs were not separated. They were a solid, single leg with shoes attached. He felt panic rising in him. The man that stood in front of him smiled and pointed out to the greenhouse. His mind swam, then Mr. March stepped forward, his legs separating as he stepped. Adam exhaled, relief flooding him. He was mistaken. It had been a trick of the light. Okay, he said. He left the kitchen and walked across the patio to the path that led to the greenhouse door. He glanced back at Mr. March. He was gone. Adam opened the door and stepped into the moist, wonderful air. Old Tom stood with his back to Adam, looking at the plants, which, Adam noticed, had grown significantly. So, it appears you had a visitor, Old Tom said, not turning around. A visitor? Adam asked, confused. You mean Mr. White? Mr. White? Ha! Yes, Mr. White. What a quaint name. Old Tom faced Adam, smiling. I'm sorry, how rude of me. How do you like your new home? I can't afford this house. I can't afford any of this. Well, of course you can. The deal is done. Signed, sealed, and delivered. How can I afford this on my salary? Old Tom smiled in response. Tell me about your visitor. My visitor? Oh yeah, that was kind of weird. He killed some of my plants. 
My plants, he thought. Those plants, he pointed at the plants that now were nearly a foot high. They seem to be doing quite well, Old Tom casually said. Yeah, well, they weren't. He touched them, and they died. They shriveled and dried up. And you touched them and brought them back, Old Tom said. Yeah. Adam stepped forward, pointing at the plants, his fingers outstretched as if reliving the moment when he brought them back. He had done that, hadn't he? He looked at the plants and smiled. Yes, he had done that. Old Tom smiled and looked at his hands. This is a very odd situation we find ourselves in. I'm sorry, what are you talking about? Adam asked. Well, let me clear it up for you. What you asked for. What I asked for. All I wanted was to sell my condo and get a house with a garden, Adam said. Yes, but when we met, you asked for something quite different. Adam thought back. The meeting had been a strange one. He realized he found it difficult to remember the details clearly. The meeting had taken on a feeling of a dream. He walked and met old Tom at the intersection at midnight. As he thought back, he was surprised at how calm he had been, how accepting. He had gone with very little protest, just said yes. Ah, I see you're starting to get it, old Tom said. Anyway, you said, I want to grow life. But that's not right, is it? You wanted something else, something more, didn't you? Suddenly, there was a loud crack as a black crow smashed into the glass. Adam jumped and spun. The bird bounced off the glass, almost in the same spot as the one last night. It landed in the grass, a black mass of feathers sticking out at odd angles. Not another crow, he said. Another crow? Old Tom asked. Yeah, last night when Mr. White was here, a crow hit the glass up there. Adam pointed at the broken pane. Old Tom's gaze followed Adam's finger. Tell me, Adam, did the crow hit the glass before or after Mr. White arrived? Adam thought about it for a second. Um, before, I think. Yeah, before Mr. White arrived. Adam thought back. He was confused at just how Mr. White had arrived. Yes, of course, after, Old Tom confirmed. Mr. March, are you still here? Yes, sir, Mr. March said from behind Adam. Adam whirled. Mr. March's smile unnerved him. Mr. March, check on the house for Adam, and then your services are no longer required. Adam watched Mr. March walk away, back toward the house. He tried not to notice the odd way he walked. His steps had no effect on his upper body. He did not rise and fall with each step. He just glided over his moving legs. It looked like the top half of his body had nothing to do with the lower half. Adam wasn't sure what Mr. March was going to check, but it reminded him to ask about the house. About this house, how can I afford it? he asked. With a chuckle, old Tom said, Well, I see we are not going to have a visit from Mr. White after all. Old Tom gestured out to the grass. The crow moved slightly, then with an unsettling jerk it stood. It looked dazed, but it was alive. Adam glanced toward the house. Through the glass he could see Mr. March standing like a statue in the middle of the kitchen. 
Then he fell forward. Surprised, Adam turned to look at old Tom, but he was no longer there. He ran from the greenhouse across the lawn and up the three steps to the door. It was open. He expected to see Mr. March sprawled on the floor, but he wasn't anywhere. Adam was baffled. He couldn't figure out what had happened to Mr. March. The kitchen was littered with dead flies. It was mesmerizing to watch Rosie go around the kitchen clearing the horrid mess. He was lost in his own thoughts when he realized the crow had hopped into the kitchen and was watching him. Adam stood, knocking over the chair he was sitting on. The crow, its feathers dirty and ruffled, shifted in jerkling movements. It held its badly crushed head at a slight angle, looking at him with its remaining eye. Then its beak opened and it said, You tall walker, you done this. You done me a no good. Why'd you do myself a no good, I ask you? Adam's mouth fell open. Yes, sir, yes, sir, a plenty no good. I've been done here, you know. I've been done and done, and you brung me groundways. The crow leapt from the ground, its wings spreading wide and attacked. Adam's arms flew up to protect its head. The crow flapped around him as it clawed and pecked, drawing blood from his arms. Adam flailed around as the crow attacked again and again. His fingertips happened to touch the crow's head, and there was a bright bluish flash. The crow was thrown backwards. It careened across the kitchen, smashing into the wall, and flopped to the ground where it lay still. Adam leaned against the kitchen cabinets, breathing hard, and watched as a small pool of black blood grew on the floor. The crow's body jerked, and its head came up. Done mine, no good, tall walker. Can't I know how? Tis your doing for sure, it said as it struggled to stand. Its right wing dragged on the floor as it stepped forward on one broken leg, leaving a dribble of yellowy liquid. Its head tipped at a crazy angle. Can't I know how's, it said. Its single eye twisted wildly around it till it found Adam. You gotta be fixing this here poor shadow flyer. Just want to be in the dirt, yes sir, yes sir. Rosie one snagged the crow's tail feathers. The crow squawked in surprise as it tugged, dragging the crow back and sideways. Adam looked around. Over the island hung his pots and pans. He grabbed the largest frying pan. The crow squawked again, louder, trying to pull away from the grip of the vacuum. Adam raised the pan, hesitated, then slammed the heavy fry pan down. There was a loud bang mixed with a muffled squawk and the crunch of bone. Rosie One bounced backwards, a couple of tail feathers stuck in its brush. It turned and moved off, dragging a smear of blackish blood and foul liquid. Adam lifted the pan, and the crow squirmed, its eyes rolling around frantically. It made a noise somewhere between a squawk and a groan. He slammed the pan down again. The crow jerked, its one leg stuck out and pistoned madly. Adam panicked. He smashed the pan down again and again and again. When he lifted the pan this time, nothing was left that looked like a crow. It was a shimmering mass of black jelly and broken feathers. Adam tossed the fry pan in the sink. The black plastic handle was broken on one side. He looked down at the disgusting mess. Fuck, he said. What a mess.
He opened a tall, thin cupboard that held the broom and dustpan. He would need a mop, but first he needed to get rid of what was left of the crow. He took the dustpan and a large wad of paper towel and knelt down beside the mass. He wasn't sure how he was going to go about this. The black blood was spreading. After a couple of aborted attempts, he finally pushed most of the mess into the dustpan with the paper towel. He rose, trying hard not to look at it. He was almost at the back door when he couldn't help himself, and he glanced down. The black mass wriggled and squirmed. Sticky feathers turned. The shattered beak vibrated, trying to open. What shocked him the most was the shiny bead of the crow's eye, somehow still intact. It spun in the glistening pile until it focused on Adam. Adam screamed and tossed the dustpan and the horror it held away from himself. It flew up to slap against the huge glass windows of the kitchen. The dustpan fell to the floor with a clatter, but the black, writhing mass stuck high on the glass. It hung there for a second, then slowly started to slide down, leaving a black smear. It sped up until it released entirely and hit the floor with a wet splat. Adam looked at it lying there, a wriggling black pile of feathers and jelly. Why aren't you dead? he asked. He stepped closer. Feathers coated in black made small jerking movements. The smell was strong, decay and iron mixed with wet feathers and something else he couldn't place. He went down on his knees and brought his face close to the pile. As he got closer, it seemed to squirm faster as if it was excited. Closer still, he drew in a deep breath in his nose, closed his eyes, and tasted the scents. It was fragrant with both death and life, but there was another scent. It was his own. He opened his eyes and reached forward with his right hand. He paused just before he touched the remains. Then he pushed his fingers deep into the mass. For a second, all he felt was wet, sticky warmth. Then his nerves lit up. He pulled life from the crow, pulled at it, dragging that scent, his scent, from it. When he pulled his fingers out, they came back smeared with black slime. He brought them to his nose. The scent was gone. Only the deep, dark scent of death was left. He grabbed some of the paper towel and wiped his fingers clean. He felt numb, removed. He pushed the mass back into the dustpan and walked out of the kitchen. He stepped down the wood steps that ended at the stone walkway surrounded by grass. On the last step, he felt his head swim and he tripped. He fell straight forward, but he didn't land on grass. Instead, when he pushed up from where he had fallen, he was lying on cold black sand. It was dark. Far off, he could see the shape of distant mountains against the sky. I hope you've enjoyed The Touch Part 2. Tune in next week for the conclusion of The Touch. Music by Noah Zachran. Production copyright by R.A. Jacobson 2021. If you would like to support Stories from a Hard Place, please go to patreon.com forward slash hard place. If you'd like a book version, either ebook or print, you can find it on Amazon. You can find links to all these and much more at Dead Cat Studio. That's deadcatstud.io. Thanks for listening. Keep the shiny side up.